Hello, I am Dr. Eric Kelly III, the visionary strategist and founder of the Black Business Olympics. I invite you to showcase your Black-owned businesses on the Black Business Network global stage. The Black Business Olympics is a global Black Business Network platform that propels Black-owned businesses into the international spotlight. By showcasing your business on the Black Business Olympics platform, you can reach a worldwide audience of potential customers, partners, and investors. You can also establish yourself as a thought leader, an expert in your field, attract lucrative partnerships, and more speaking engagements. In addition, the Black Business Olympics platform provides a valuable opportunity to connect and collaborate with like-minded entrepreneurs and business professionals from around the world. This can lead to new business opportunities, ideas, and relationships. Finally, by sharing your story and expertise on the Black Business Olympics platform, you can inspire and empower others. This is a powerful way to make a positive impact on the world and leave a lasting legacy. If you are a Black-owned business owner, I encourage you to seize the opportunity to showcase your business on the Black Business Olympics platform. It is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to make an indelible mark on the world. Be one of the thousand visionary entrepreneurs who are changing students' lives, shaping industries, and leaving an unforgettable legacy for their families. Unleash your voice on our global stage and watch your business thrive. Black Business Olympics is one of the largest black business showcases in the history of black business in the world. Yes, the entire world. Just give me a call today at 919-308-9090. Welcome to another edition of Talking With Kevin and Son and the People You Should Know. This episode is brought to you by RMK Productions and the 10 United Podcast Network. Our mission is through the power of our stories to uplift our voices, inspire, share stories and experiences and perspectives using the framework of teaching, learning and modeling. Our purpose is very simple, ladies and gentlemen, helping other people every day. Hope. That's an acronym I've been using since I was in the third grade. Ladies and gentlemen, I am bringing you something um, very special. A young man that I've had the honor of being a guest on his platform, the Black Business uh, Expo, the Black Business Olympics, as being a guest, as being one of the top up-and-coming motivational speakers to be on his show. He featured me. My guest is a um, honorary, has an honorary doctor's degree in humanitarianism. He's a global influencer in the space of Black business, an expert in integrated integration, well, let me say that right, of art and business and education, and he's the creator of Black Business Expo, the Black Business Olympics, and he's also a good friend and mentor to me. I'd like to welcome my guest, Mr. Dr. E, my brother, Eric Kelly. How you doing? Welcome to the show. Hey, man, you know, that guy you're talking about, I want to hire him. You know, he's a humanitarian. You know, when the COVID was happening, and a lot of people probably don't even know this, um, I was out on 
on the trail in North Carolina in different small cities providing food, man. You know, I had my mask on. We didn't know what was going on, but we knew that people needed food. And when you begin to talk about humanitarianism, you got to talk a little bit more about what it really means. And that, that is to serve humanity. And that's something I've been doing ever since I was a little kid is serving people. And today I plan on serving your audience with insights on what's next, what's today, and of course, what's in the past. All right. Well, I, you know something, Brother Eric, I, I've been saying for a long time, I got to get the world ready for you. I don't think the world is, is ready. And um, let's go ahead back and peel the layers of the story back and take you back a little bit before you became all that you are today. Let's tell everyone your story, how you grew up, you know, mom and dad, what your relationship was. Were you were you uh, positioning yourself amongst your brothers and sisters and how you became Dr. Eric Kelly? And then we'll talk about the Black Expo, the Black uh, business um, that you started up and how you've acquired so many relationships. I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, when a young man gets a hundred. I mean, this this man is modulating every single day with up and coming black talent, you know, for seven days, 24 seven. I'm curious to see how you found all these people. So, Dr. Kelly, tell us a little bit uh, about you and let our, uh, our listeners get to know who you are. Well, you know, many times people ask me this question. And, you know, my earliest remembrance of who I was was when my grandmother went to Washington, D.C. to, to uh, adopt me from my mother. It was very interesting in those days because my mother had asthma. And she couldn't hold a job. So she called my grandmother and um, my grandmother went and picked me up. And the reason I always start there is because my grandmother said that one day she 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 went out of the house and she came back and I was on top of the stove stove and I had ate these beans and they had to rush me to the hospital and 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 pump my stomach out of the beans to save my life, I believe. And she said at that moment, she knew that I was a determined child to get what I wanted to get out of life. And you know, that is pretty much, when you ask the question, how did I become Dr. Kelly? I became Dr. Kelly because of the, de the determination to do things that I was told that I could do. You know, at seven years old, my great grandfather came to me and he said that he wanted to, me to be a lawyer. When I was in nursery school, we would go, we would walk home from nursery school because it was near my house and he would stop into the um, the courthouse and we would sit there and he would, that was just his thing. You know, he was a wealthy old man, so he just did whatever he wanted to do. And so I tell many people that I am my great grandfather. His name was Papa uh, Henry Stansel. And so he wanted me to be a lawyer at, at about seven years old. And I told I told Papa, I said, I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be an artist. And so he looked at me and he said, well, where is your art? And so I went over to the bed and I pulled my, my paperwork out and I showed him showed him what I had been working on. And he just walked out the room. I think he was a little upset because in his mind, he wanted me to be a lawyer because he said, all families need a lawyer. I didn't understand at that time that I could be an artist and a lawyer because I'm a kid. So I'm thinking this is what I want to do. My grandmother uh, 
uh, Lovella Stancil Kelly, she gave me a, a ink pen when I was in church at four years old. And I started drawing at four. And she said that, that the first picture that I drew, which was the choir, looked like the choir members in the choir. So I've been drawing that long. And so my great grandfather came back into the room and he said, well, if you're going to be an artist, then I'm going to start a museum for you. And so I thought thought a museum would, was, you know, just tacking pieces on the walls and having pictures up on the wall. And so I took my paint, my, my drawings and I was tacking them on all on the walls in, in his house. I was living in his house. We was in a two story house at the time. And he walked back in and he said, no, that's not what a museum is. Let me take you to some museums. So my great grandfather took me to some museums in Washington, D.C., museums around here in Durham, North Carolina. And he showed me what a museum was. And, and the only thing I got out of that travel was that all the pictures was in frames. That's all I got. I still didn't know what a museum seven. And so when I came back home, I took everything off the walls and I started framing my stuff as a young as a young kid and so as my as my journey began from that moment uh, my great-grandfather said that i could only sell my art to collectors because collectors would keep it and collectors will honor it and they would know where it is and he said just don't give your work away you know um put the value that you feel is on your work and he said because when you when you leave us they're going to sell it for whatever they want to sell it for anyway. So put what you feel is worth. And he used to say, if you don't value your value, then your value will not be valuable. And then another, another um, key thing that he would say is the number one thing to do is to think because he was wealthy. And I used to get money from him all the time. And, and I used to beg, you know how your kids are always begging for money to, to buy things. And one day he looked at me and he, and he said, I want you to understand one thing. My money is my money. If you want more money, then you have to go and get your own money. And that's when he would tell me that the number one thing was to think. The number two thing was to listen. And number three was to be relentless. And so that is really what my life has been about. Thinking, listening, and being relentless on everything that, I'm, that I've done. My grandmother told me early on that I could be anything I wanted to be. So I, I, own, I never saw anything other than the ideas that I had in my head. And so as I got to high school, um, you know, I, I wasn't a wealthy kid. Um, so I always thought I wanted to go to college. So each time that the teachers would ask who's going to college, I would raise my hand. I had no idea whether or not I was going to go to college or better yet how I was going to go to college. I just knew that I wanted to go to college. I enjoyed education. In high school, I was a B student. Um, and I could have, I could have been an A student, but all my friends were hoodlums in the projects that was right next to the apartments that I had. I, I was a guy with the basketball. So I took the basketball to the project. So all the guys, all the bad boys wanted to play with the ball. So this is how I learned how to play basketball. But what I understood during that process is you never look down on people. You never talk down on people. You look at people like they are people. And so that respect for them was a respect that I had, I still have today. 
And so even when we would sit in our class in high school and, and they would read off the A and B on a roll, and my name would come up and all the kids would be sitting in the front of the class would look back in the back room. I'm sitting back there with the boys playing and they would look at me like, well, why are you back there? And I would always say, well, you know, my grandmama's going to beat me with the drop cord if I bring anything less than be on a roll home. And these guys back here, they don't care. They're getting beaten too. And we would laugh. And that was my way of letting them know that y'all my friends, but I still have a mission that I got to, I have to complete. And so my senior year in high school, um, I still was raising my hand. Um, three of my teachers came to me, my English teacher, my history teacher, and my art teacher. And my art teacher took me, they took me into the teacher's lounge. I'm in the teacher's lounge and I'm, you know, you you know, in those days when they took you in the teacher's lounge, there was something wrong. And so I'm sure. sitting in the teacher's lounge and I'm, I'm fidgeting, I'm, I'm just waiting. And my art uh, teacher said, she said, you know, every time I give a project out, you play around and then you come in the day that the project is due and you do the best art project in the school. And she said, you are cheating the world. You have more talent than you are sharing with all of us. And I said, well, I'm just supposed to finish the project, right? And she said to me, no, you got to do more. And then my history teacher said, and then she, then my history teacher said, and you know you cannot graduate from high school without history. And I'm sitting there and I'm hearing her say that. And then my English teacher said, and you know you can't graduate from high school without English. And I'm not catching on yet, you know, because I'm still sitting there like, okay, what we're we doing? And then my art teacher says, the reason I brought them in here is because you're not going to be able to graduate without English and history. Now, I flunked the fifth grade because um, in the fifth grade, I drew every day and slept. I drew every day and slept. Remember, I told you I, I hung out with the bad boys. So so my grandmother, when I flunked the fifth grade, she sat me down and she said, what happened? What did you do? Tell me what you did in school because she wanted to get to the bottom of it. And so I told her, I said, well, I went to school. I drew and I slept and I ate. And she said, so you didn't do no work. I said, well, you know, I just, that's all I did. And she said, well, we're not going to have this problem again. You're not going to do that again. You got to get through school. You can't just go and draw because you got to understand, I had just began to draw. And drawing was like a, 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 a what's the word? A, a, like I was an addict. That's all I wanted to do was draw, just draw all the time. And I still have some of those drawings today. And so she said, when you go back to school, they're going to talk about you. They're going to pick on you. And I'm like, no, in my brain, I didn't say this to my grandmother. They're not going to talk about me. They're not going to do anything because I will fight because I was one of those guys. And so when I got back to school, my mind was made up. I got through school. I, I got through school. When you leave the fifth grade in the South and you go to the sixth grade, you're going to junior high school. So that was elementary school. So when I got to junior high school, nobody, except for some of the kids knew I flunked, but nobody was saying anything about it because it was more about education. So in high school, my um, when she said I was going to graduate, I was terrified, to be honest. And so at that moment, um, they said that I needed to draw for each one of those classes, you know, three pieces for the 
uh, for history, three pieces for English, and do three projects for art. And then I said, well, am I going to get extra credit? And, and I will never forget this statement that these ladies said to me then. They said, no, we're not going to give you extra credit for something that you do. And that's been my mantra all my life. You know, I don't worry about my art. I don't worry about the business that I do. It's, it's something that I do. And so as I, as I drew for these classes, it ended up that I had so much work drawn until the Durham Lynx gave out the best artist in the state. And I received the best artist in the state my senior year. And then I started getting letters to go to college. And so there was uh, uh, a black college here in Durham where it had, uh, which was the number one art, uh, um, um, art school for black artists because I wanted to be a black artist. And so in those days, um, the professors had not begun to move toward the white institutions yet because the white institution had not started getting the middle-class kids to come to their schools um, until my June, to my sophomore year. And so I chose North Carolina Central University and I went down to, to their art department and I carried my portfolio and all the letters. And I told uh, Lana Henderson, who was the dean at that time, that I wanted to go, go to Central and I wanted an art scholarship. And she said, well, we don't have a, 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 a art scholarship. And I said, well, I, I want an art scholarship because I got all these letters. And she looked at the letters. She looked at my work. She said, well, let me let me um, look at it again and we'll get, we'll be in touch. And so a week later, they sent me a letter for art scholarship at North Carolina Central University, where I went to North Carolina Central University. One of the things I do want to point out is that people in their lives sometimes must pay attention to leadership. Um, I went to North Carolina Central with the idea I wanted to be an art teacher and I was going to paint, you know, paint also. Now, I had a counselor who was a failed artist and we sat down and we started talking about, you know, what I wanted to do. And I told him I wanted to be an artist, wanted to be an art teacher. And then he said, well, you know, you're not going to make a, a lot of money as an artist. And this was the first time that somebody had really said that to me. And I'm a young man. I did not know. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, most artists are starving artists. Now, mind you, I'm not in a position of understanding that right now, the number one artist, living artist today is Mark Bradford. And Mark Bradford is making over $12 million per piece of art. Okay, you got to understand, I'm coming up during a time where there is no real connection uh, from a painter or artist to the real world because I'm in the South. And so we talked about it. And then he he said, well, if you plan on making any money in art, you probably need to go into visual communications or fine arts. And I'm like, well, what does fine arts do? And so he told me fine, art, fine arts are artists who draw for cars and all of those things. He didn't even say architecture was something that I could go into. Even though I was one of the top draftsmen in high school, he didn't say nothing about that because you got to understand I'm a kid. And the reason I bring leadership up, sometimes leadership can lead you wrong. And and so he said, you can go into visual, uh, visual communications and go into advertising and you can write your ticket. 
So when he said that, I changed my I changed my major because he's my counselor and he he was counseling me on what I wanted to do with my life. And I changed it to advertising. I'm not sad that I changed that major. I just wish I could have could have had an opportunity to understand what was going on at, at that point in my life. So I decided I was going to still draw and paint, which I've never stopped drawing and painting the rest of my life, the rest of my life because of commitment to my great grandfather and my museum. But I went into advertising and I ended up opening it up, uh, Kelly Worldwide Advertising Agency. And when I opened that Kelly uh, um, Advertising Agency, my grandmother came to me and she said that she wanted to do something for kids because she saw how I changed when I got an art scholarship. And so we started the Black Business. I'm the co-founder of the uh, Black Business Expo. We started the Black Business Expo back let in. Me do, let me do this. Let me interrupt because we're, we're way ahead of where I, I like to the, like to go. And that's one thing when you get a storyteller on, on uh, your podcast, especially another podcast host, guess what they do? They they do their podcast. Um, you brought up something when you talked about Black Heart. And I've been asked this question uh, numerous of time, and I was asked this question when I uh, I was talking about setting up this um, interview with you, and I told him how dynamic you were, and I appreciate you dropping these gems, and I hopefully that our young listeners, especially our young melanated listeners, um, pay attention. We are on a global platform, but you mentioned Black Heart. The question is, when we talk about the Black Business Expo or uh, the Black Business uh, Olympics, some of our counterparts are, are, are trying to figure out what business is business. Why does it have to be listed as um, Black business? I want to ask you this question because it's been asked of me. All right. Why is it important that we label our business as, and recognize it as a Black business? Who are we as Black people to be different from any other form of business? We're all at the end of the day. Um, producing a product or service for a reason. Um, some of us is for service. Some of us are for profit and some of us are for greed. Um, I think I've covered all of them. And then and matter of fact, some of us go into business out of necessity. So I think I, I hit all of them. But as a person of color, however we identify ourselves, however, however we identify ourselves, I just want to make sure I don't miss anyone or piss anyone off. Um, why is it I'm, important? Let me ask. I'm just, you know, that is the best question that anybody can ask me because you, you, you know, my, you, you, you my know, Dr. Kelly, you, you know, house. I've known, I've known you for 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 a minute, and I know that my show is going to last longer than an hour when you give that explanation. But you know, we need to educate those. You know, I've always been you know, said. But, wait a minute. Let we, me finish. Let me finish, but I always say education is not always designed to be comfortable. It's designed to make you think. And um, so you've got a, some um, degrees higher than me. Educate us. Well, first of all, there's something called Pepsi-Cola and Coca-Cola. There's something called McDonald's and Burger King. It's called a brand. It's called where are you focusing? Uh, the name Black Business is only talking about the $11 trillion that we own in our community. And we want to continue to take that $11 trillion and make it circle in our neighborhoods. 
when people say it's uncomfortable, it's only uncomfortable when we begin to talk about um, doing business together. It's never uncomfortable when other people are doing business to cipher or to pull money out of our com communities. You know, when you hear Pepsi-Cola and you hear Coca-Cola, only thing you hear is brand. When you hear Black business and you're looking at all of the Black businesses around the globe, we're talking about a brand. Um, many of our Black businesses don't have the resources. It brings me back to in 1990, excuse me, 1993, when I was doing the Black Business um, Expo in Durham, North Carolina, and there was a national show called Black Business, uh, excuse me, Black Expo USA. And Black, Business, Black Expo USA was traveling 14 cities. Now, the major businesses and corporations were sponsoring Black, Black Expo USA because what, what was going on is that Black businesses could not afford the national money to do advertising on radio and TV and newspaper. So what they decided to do was, is to do a national show to travel to each one of the cities. And while the Black businesses were in each one of these cities, they were able to connect with the national, the national, um, or I should say Black people to sell their products and services. And that's really what Black business is all about. You know, like I said before, many people, and why I say it's the greatest thing to ask, the greatest question to ask is because why do you need Black businesses? Why do you need Black Business Expo? Why do you need Black Expo? Why do you need Black people to do business with Black people? Well, because of the culture. This is a cultural phenomenon. And so for those who feel uncomfortable, there is nothing in writing that says you can't be included. There is nothing in writing that says you can't be a sponsor. There's nothing in writing said that you can't come. But when Black people begin to say that they're doing things with each other, it's always, always a question. And one of the things that I always say is Pepsi-Cola, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, and of course, Burger King. It's a brand. Good answer. Good answer. And, and, and thank you for that. Um, you need to write a book, Dr. Kelly. I just want to tell you that. Um, I'm not saying that because I, I have my own publishing label, but you definitely need to write a book. And the fact is, um, you and I need to talk off camera. You let me spend the last nine and a half months illustrating my book, and never once did you tell me you were an artist. <laughs> okay, but so know, but, but, but hold on, let's put a pen right there. You have, and I tell all my artist friends that you have something that you have a fan base that loves. This is why. You can never say, I'd never say that any art is better than somebody else's art. You may have a different flavor and you have an audience for that flavor. I have an audience for my flavor. I started out doing realism and I've moved into abstract expressionism. And I also moved in creating my own style. And that comes with years and decades and decades and decades of doing what I do. So while I can draw for you, I really want you to draw for yourself because at the end of the day, that expression that comes out of you is pure expression. 
And it's, it's something, as I always say, it's what you are and what you're trying to give to people. And that's the best thing on the planet. All right. I, I need a little bit more education. Like I said, you you have a lot more degrees than I, I do. Um, I think I'm a little older than you. So, you know, I take wisdom. I always ask if the ocean comes to the beach or does the beach come to the ocean? And right now in this conversation, I'm going to bring the ocean to the beach. Um, in your bio, you mentioned the deconstruction of American expressiveness. What does that mean? Well, what I do is, is I look at how the world is shaped and I look at how we can bring people together. I'm a thought leader who thinks about not color. My grandmother who raised me, um, raised me past color. She was, she was, um, uh, her nickname was Big Mama. She was a short lady, but her name was Big Mama. But what she was able to do while she was on the planet, she was one of those women who would go into the rooms um, with, with um, cor corporate people and she would represent black people and she would show the corporate the corporate folk how important it was for them to give the black people a raise she worked at a place here called gold kiss poetry which was a chick chicken plant and she worked in the cafeteria and she utilized the cafeteria as her meeting place for all the higher ups and and of course you know the black people come and eat anyway to have conversations with folk. She also was a, a negotiator for, for businesses. And I used to go with her and I used to listen to how she would talk to corporation, corporate folk and how she talked to black folk. And it was just amazing to see how she would always try to bring people together. And this is what it's about for me. And in my art, I use color and I use different colors for emotions. And so I look at people and I look at their facial expressions. I look at how they're moving and then I utilize color to, to, to present, you know, a feeling of emotion in, their, in, in my pieces. That's what I mean by deconstructing, um, deconstructing, deconstructing um, the, the pieces that we do. Deconstruction of, of expressionism. Um, before we go on and we talk about the Black Business uh, Expo or the Black Business and the Black Business Olympics and how you've acquired so many talented um, young up-and-coming speakers and professionals in this business, how do people get in touch with you, Dr. Kelly? Well, the best way is to call 919-308-9090. If you want to become a speaker on our platform, and we do we do seven days. Um, we do seven days. Um, 145 speakers. We've been doing that um, this year once a month. Next year we're going to do it every two weeks. The following year we're going to do it every three weeks, and the year after that we're going to do it every four weeks to create a 365, 24-hour live network talking to Black businesses all over the globe. If you want to be a speaker, you can go to BBX speakers one at gmail.com and for those who also would like to see what we're doing our new streaming network is going to be on bxtv.org 
that you get a chance to actually see some other things because we're going to actually be doing black business movies, black business documentaries. We actually have a black business blockchain, black business uh, cryptocurrency. And we're right now working on, and I just got um, information out of India on last night that the black business AI is, is completed. And we're going to be announcing that we want to be, when you type in black business, we want to be the network where you can learn all about black business. We've had over 4,000 business businesses to present on our black business Olympics network. And we want to be that, that key that you go to or that uh, platform that you go to to learn about black business. We don't want to talk about entertainment, sports. We don't want to talk about politics, sex. We don't want to talk about religion. We want to talk about black business. I believe that black business is a staple for our future. And so that's one of the reasons we do it. The mission that we that uh uh, and reason that we do it is to raise scholarships for our kids because our kids are the number one black kids are the number one kids that are committing suicide from 18 to 24. One in 1,000 right now is committing suicide. When you understand that the average age on the planet is 27 years old in North America, it's 14 in, in Africa, it's 26 in Europe, it's 20. It's 27 in, in Brazil and South America. Australia is 26. And then the 18 to 24-year-old kid right now, we're number one in committing suicide. Something has to change. And that is the reason that we do it, to raise scholarships for kids and to give laptops so that they can compete on, on a level that's right in front of them. You know, that is that is why we do it. And many times people think that we're doing it as a business. We're doing it as a as a form of changing people's lives. That that's that's black businesses globally and that's students. So they don't look at being entertainment, um, basketball, football, singing, and dances as the only way to be wealthy. I'm not saying if you're great at basketball, if you're a great singer, if you're great at dancing and acting, go for it. But please remember that only 1% is going to be successful. And so we're creating something here for our students to look at and say, I can be an entrepreneur. I can be a business owner. I can do something other than being entertainment. And that's the reason why I brought you on, Dr. Kelly, is because as, if, as impressed as I've been as being a guest, I've also been um, more impressed of knowing you as the man and, and becoming a friend. Um, the Black Business Expo um, provides a, as well as the Black Business Olympics provides a global platform. And because service, the greatest gift you can give to any anyone else is to pass on an opportunity and education is hope, helping someone else other every day. You can give a man a, a, a dollar, but you can't make him understand the value of a dime um, because nothing ever changes. But you are, are, are giving back. Um, I want to ask this question, and this has concerned me because we've all been through the George Floyds and the many travesties that have happened in here. And I'm asking you this, not as a Black businessman, but as a, uh, a man. I'm speaking to a group of um, 
middle schoolers and uh, high schoolers during MLK Day in 2024. Can you tell me that the famed speech we have by Dr. Martin Luther King at 22 years of age when he spoke um, at the foot of our na national um, uh, monument that he said he had a dream? As a Black man standing here today, because I'm concerned, is Dr. King's dream dead, or are we still thriving? How do you feel about that? Well, I think I think the thing that that we must really um, look at. Now, I was talking to my mom's today, and um, I was asking her, and I was being very, very what's the word energetic about what I would do back in the '40s and the '50s. And I asked her, I said, "Mom, how could you have have went to a a, 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 a black uh, water fountain. How could you have went in the back of the hotel? How could you have went to the black line? How could you have sat on the back of the bus? And I was, I said, if I was back then, I know I wouldn't have sat on the back of the bus. I would have sat on the front of the bus. And I was talking about it. And then my mom's looked me square in the eye and she said, son, what you don't understand, that's just the way it was. And when you ask, when you think about that today and think about the mentality of the people, then that's the way it was. When you talk about Dr. Martin Luther King and you ask, is his dream alive? You have to say that his dream has surpassed what his dream really was. Because if you remember um, before he was assassinated, that he, he said murder. He I'm going to say he was murdered. He wasn't assassinated. I, I'll agree with you when he was murdered. Um, that he said that he feared that he may have led his people into the jaws of hell. I think people need to really look at that last speech and not lay on the other speech. Because remember, in that speech, he wanted black kids and white kids to hold hands and walk. That's the dream he had. We surpassed that. We have black kids and white kids holding hands. But at the end of the day, as I said to somebody earlier today, integration caused a bigger rift in our community than anybody else's community in the world because we were headed up the ladder of progress. We was doing Latin. We was doing trigonometry. We was doing math. We was speaking different languages. And then drugs were dropped into our communities. And those drugs that was dropped in our communities was a part of, of, of pulling us apart and and stop us listening to say it loud with a black and I'm proud. Um, and we begin to follow the follower that I talk about. That means we begin to follow other nations, other groups, and we begin to stop, stop going forward. What I would say to those young men is that right now, right now, you're at the moment in time where you can do anything that you want to, but you gotta get involved. We as Black people must get involved in AI. We must get involved in the metaverse. We must get involved in all these things that are happening right now as opposed to continue to be consumers. Because as I said before, that $11 trillion is not going to change. You know, we talk about um, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Marcus Garvey and Mandela. All of those great men, and Fannie Lou Hamer, don't, don't get it twisted, and Madam C.J. Walker, and I don't want to leave the great women out, 
we talk about all these things, but what was the one thing that these people wanted, wanted to happen? They wanted all of us as Black people to see ourselves in our greatness. And that is what we must begin to think about. How can I serve to share Black people in their greatness? And that's one of the reasons that the Black Business Olympics has survived. You know, we started back in 2020 when COVID hit and the genie was let out of the bottle, which means that we began to do virtual business. And the thing that nobody talks about is that that virtual business that we just started doing back in 2020, this is the kind of business that other nationalities and other people were already doing. And right now they're trying to push us back into the bottle, but it's too late. They can't push us back in the bottle. And so when you think about what King was saying at that time, we have surpassed what he was saying. But he also, and I want people to think about this for a minute when you talk about him being murdered. And he was that he was murdered only when he began to deal with stopping the flow of money in the United States of America with a Montgomery bus boycott that lasted for 18 months. Not one month after, not two months after George Floyd or three months after George Floyd. We're talking about 18 months when black people all over this country said, we're just not going to ride the bus. We're going to get to work. We're going to get to work and see some people play chess and some people play checkers. If Martin King was alive today and had that same kind of power that he had then today, then black people would not be poor because he, he would be easily able to say, let's spend some money with Tyrone today, black people. Let's buy these sneakers today, black people. Let's do this as a group of black people. Okay, let's support this group. Let's support this group. That's chess when you take that out of the equation of the human experience. When you start talking about black people, now you have us disenfranchised and supporting everybody but ourselves. And so as we look at the future and those kids that you're looking at, you got to look at them and say, think about it like this. You have a telephone that's more powerful than the computer that the president had in the last 10 years. And there are millions and millions and millions of millionaires being created each and every day because the C and D students are running the world. You got to say that. You got to say the C and D students are running the world. The dropouts are running the world. So what's the difference between them and you? And if you take that telephone and do the research, you can learn how to survive and how to create something bigger than AI. As I said in a meeting today, that we must begin to look at, why is AI here? Why is there a, a idea that it's going to be sentient? Okay, who is creating AI and what is AI here for? And when you look at how this world is changing and how it seems like the black existence, this is why my Black Business Olympics is very important. The black existence and all the great things that black people have created is being dissolved. 
If it's being dissolved, what is next? Black people. Why is it that Elon Musk and these other guys trying to travel to Mars and trying to travel to other worlds? Well, because they know the date that they're going to disappear from this planet. And so they got to figure a way to stay. And if you're only 10% on one planet and you make yourself 100% on another planet, that means that you can survive. And so these are some of the things you got to say to these kids. Hey, you have an opportunity right now with that telephone to change your life and your family's life. Dr. Kelly, you have given us more than what we expected in this inter interview. We've got to know you. I've learned some new things about you. You've recanted conversations that we've had in um, private um, of educating. So it's put out into the universe. Um, again, I'm going to say this 100 times over. Education is not designed to make you comfortable. It's designed to make you think. If you can change the heart of someone you can change the decision that person makes tomorrow. Um, Dr. Kelly, uh, one more time. There are a lot of young entrepreneurs out there, melanated, both black, white, and whatever. People are doing things to unite not only our people, but do great things for humanity. It's just not black people. It's all people. And there's a lot of people out there, that, that small percent, that would like to see us not come together. Your conversations brought us closer than we ever will need to be, and hopefully that, that will continue. I hope that people will support the Black Business Olympics. I hope people will support the Black Expo. And I hope people will listen and repeat the conversation that Dr. Kelly has shared with us today. And I hope they will share this. Dr. Kelly, um, I'm going to ask you, um, I have a lot of people that follow me. A lot of people listen. I don't have the millions that follow you. We do both share a global platform and we're bringing our platforms to, together. Um, I always say that, you know, I'm not looking for millions. I'm looking for people that have a higher call to action. It's the reason why our relationship is so strong, because between the two of us and our circle, we get stuff done. The people that follow and subscribe to RMK Productions, they're not people that drive by an accident. They stop and help, no matter right or wrong, no matter what skin color you are, no matter what gender, however you identify yourself. We are all for humanity. So I've had four people to date that are strangers that have answered this question for someone and made someone's dream come true. If I were to ask you your ask, A-S-K, if you had one thing that you can ask that one of our viewers, our listeners, could grant you or support you on, what would that one ask be? And I'm going to give you a second. I'm going to say, make your ask, A-S-K, big. And the reason why I'm spelling it, because we've got people that don't have a sense of humor that will try to find some reason not to have this show exist. And I'm going to say good luck because we're doing great things. But what would your ask be? When people ask me that question, I have to really sit back and say what's really on my mind, not what Eric Kelly wants. You know, it's easy for me to say what I want because I know who I am, I know what I have, and I know where I'm headed. One ask, you know, we all oftentimes sit there and say, what's in it for me? But 
I opened up my advertising agency and my slogan was, what's in it for you? And if I had an ask, um, my ask would be a two-part ask. It wouldn't be a one-part ask because my first ask on the planet is always, you know, how can I change the lives of these young people who want their lives to be changed? You know, we run the Black Business Olympics to raise um, um, laptops and and monies for our for these kids. We want to do a hundred laptops, and we want to give over five hundred thousand to these kids. That's a real ass. That's a that's a, that's a changer. That's a changer for these kids because they get an opportunity to see that people really care for what they want to do. That's part one. It's always my kids first. But the business owners who speak on the platform, I've I've broken I've broken it down to really what they really need, and I would. My ask for that would be for each one of the speakers who speak on a 24-hour network. That means that each one of the speakers get one hour to speak for 12 months. That's one hour to speak for 12 months. That's 750 speakers to speak one hour for 12 months to be a 24-hour live network. I would love for each one of those speakers to get $1,000 each time that they speak. That's $1,000 each time. That's $8 million for those speakers. And then an additional $3 million to, to run an organization that can change the world. So that would be my ask. And the reason I don't ask for my art the reason I don't ask for my museum, because that is my journey to greatness. That is my journey to make that happen. But the reason I came, Kevin, was because you asked me to come. The reason I came was because I listened to your story. And I understood your story and, and, and the struggles that you talked about. And you as another man, not a black man. And when I made those statements earlier, we were asking in the context of a black business, a black man. But when you are a humanitarian and you're thinking about the human experience, you can't just look at the singular part of what you want. You have to look at, you know, what my grandmother, uh, Lovella Kelly said to me long time ago. If I can help somebody on their way, then my living has not been in vain. That's critical when you begin to think about where we're going and how we're going to get there. Whether there's adversaries and people trying to keep us from going, the one thing that I do know, that the human experience and the human journey is so powerful until when you ask the universe, you must understand why are you here? And I'm here to connect people all over the globe together. 
not just black businesses, even though, as I said, you know, Coca-Cola, you know, Pepsi-Cola is a brand. The black business brand is a brand, but humans oh, is what I represent each and every day. Not just because we all bleed the same color, not because we all breathe the same air, not because we all have something in common called flesh but because we all have a soul, because we all have a spirit and we all are here together. That's what it's about for me. And I want to definitely thank you for that ask. If, if there, there are individuals out there who want to join the Black Business Network and the Black Business Movement, they can definitely give me a call at 919-308-9090 and let me know how you see a change in this movement because this is a movement this is not just a journey it's a movement and as my mother always says you know history is made because people want history to be made and so the history when you hear our slogan we say black business olympics one of the largest business showcases in the history of black business in the world the entire world, we're not just talking about it from North America. We're talking South America, Australia, Europe, Asia, Singapore. We're talking about Dubai. We're talking about the nations in Africa. And that's what it's about for me. And I want to definitely thank you for asking that question. But more importantly, for those who, who want to support what we're doing, the only thing we ask is support us. That's not too that's not too big of an ask to ask. Um there are multi-billion dollar companies um that are putting on a good face in order to support black business and products and whatever. This is the heart and soul where it happens on, on the ground. This is the real people. Dr. Um Eric Kelly, entrepreneur, creator of Black Business Expo, creator and founder of the Black Business uh, Olympics. Um, a man wise be beyond his his years, a man is sensitive to the soil that we walk on, a man that is a gift to this earth and to humanitarian himself, a man that gives without asking for much, but he gives anyway, his service. That is probably the greatest piece of legacy or, or wealth that you can pass on to someone, especially when you pour knowledge into the heart and souls of a child doesn't make a difference where they come from. It's where they're going and what opportunities you provide. I, I respect Dr. Kelly because not only has he allowed to blaze a trail in his own footprints, but he's also smoothing out the trail for others to follow and to create their own footprints in the sand. Dr. Kelly, thank you so much. I also thank my listeners because without you, the last two years that I, I've been doing this and a couple hundreds of episodes I've done between two podcasts, Motivational Sundays with Kevin and Friends, which is growing, and Talking Wit, my current show, Kevin and Son. Without you and you listening, your feedback, your advice and the direction that we respect. But I also want to tell you, if some part of this conversation you've been open to has touched your heart and your soul, then allow you to be that change to be. My grandfather always said, when you get to a point in life where you can help someone else out, service, mm -hmm. it is your duty to do so. 
He said, reach one, teach one. And with that said, we're going to fade to black and we're out. Thank you, Dr. Kelly. And I truly want to thank you for having me on this show. It's been a joy. I look forward to all the great things that you continue to do. And to your audience, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am grateful that you allowed me to come into your earwaves and on this podcast to, to express to you that I truly enjoy living on the planet. And I want all of you to enjoy living on the planet with all of us, not just one or two, but all of us. And again, Kevin, thank you so very much. Thank you again, sir. And again, we fade to black. 